Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to do a little bit of an introduction here before I get into the podcast with Rick Maxson. So before I get into that, I wanted to talk about kind of the whitetail season to date. As I'm recording this, it's October 14th, and this podcast will release tomorrow. It's um, I just had a nice cold front come through here. It's starting to feel like archery season. So I usually don't get too too excited about hunting yet. Um, as far as the big woods where I'm doing most of my hunting, I seem to have uh, better luck, and when I can, I can gear more time during the rut. So I usually wait till uh, probably another week and a half or so before I really start getting into hunting hard. I've been just kind of doing some scouting, covering ground, find, trying to find some hot sign, as well as get my trail cameras in place to to hopefully help me when it comes to time when I have uh, my rutcation, so my vacation for, uh, for whitetail hunting here. So that's that's going to be starting, I believe, October 27th extremely excited for that so my original plan was was to hunt for two weeks in pennsylvania and ohio split the time and once i'd fill my pennsylvania tag be able to drive to ohio like i did the last couple years and that seemed to to work out for me in the past but uh some things changed a little bit and really exciting actually so I uh, I got a call a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was just last week, last week maybe, about uh, seeing if I was interested in hunting in Alberta, Canada on November 4th through the 10th, and obviously that was a really exciting call, and I'd, I'd never been to Alberta, I've never been to Canada to hunt, and I've it's been a dream of mine ever since I was a kid, you know, reading the hunting magazines and watching TV shows of hunting, you know, those North country, just big bodied bruiser deer. And I'm finally going to get the opportunity to do that. And very short notice, it's going to take out the last week of the, the Pennsylvania archery season. Um, so I'm going to have to have a little pressure on me to get, to try to get that done earlier, earlier than normal. But, this Alberta trip is is going to be extremely extremely exciting. So, what's happening is how this kind of all came about is I'm going up with Sika Gear to test out some some new clothing, some new gear. Uh, I can't talk about exactly what that is yet, but um, be sure that we'll be recording some podcasts up there and temperatures can can range anywhere i think they were saying the average high last year was like 10 degrees with the lows being you know negative 15 negative 20 with potential for it to get even colder than that so this will be a a really interesting um trip and not just going to anywhere in alberta but we're going to the infamous bow zone so the bow zone is 16,400 acres of bow hunting only property just outside of Edmonton, Alberta. 
So this place is just famous for big deer, just great genetics. It's low hunting pressure, but uh, the hunting is still, it's really tough. So we're going with, with an outfitter, and the guy's name is Jim Hole Jr. And I've been following along Jim's stuff for a long time now. I want to say a long time, probably three years. And he's got this, what he calls the program. And I'm not going to get into a whole lot of it right now, but let's uh, let's just say it's an intense program. As I'll, I'll have Jim on the podcast when I'm when I'm up there, but um, it's an intense program where these whitetails, even though they're the biggest in some of the biggest in North America, they're also the toughest to hunt. Um, from the standpoint of they don't see hunters very often. There's not a lot of bow hunters in Alberta, but when they do have any intrusion, they're extremely, extremely skittish. So the stats from last year through Jim's outfitting business called classic outfitters, uh, was hunters had 130% chance of having opportunities on a whitetail over 140 inches of mature whitetail in Alberta. And, but the actual success rate was only 15%. Such as showing how tough these animals are to actually hunt and actually kill, I guess, um, with the cold weathers and just them being as skittish as they are and not liking hunting pressure. It's it's extremely difficult, but um, I'm excited for the for the challenge and to do that. So this will be my first time ever even going with an outfitter. So it's it's going to be different. I've never never done anything like that kind of nervous about it but uh, i think uh i think it'll be really good and i'm excited to learn from jim and and if you look up again jim hole jr with classic outfitters if you look him up and read some of his articles he's done for peterson's bow hunting he's got some the articles on his website it's he's a very impressive guy and has successfully you know, guided people and, and kill whitetails himself for the last 30 years in the bow zone. So it's, it's, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool experience. I think that, that I'm going to get to. So I never thought that, uh, I'd be hunting again out West here in 2018, but it looks like it's happening again. And I'm just, I'm super grateful for that opportunity to be able to do that. So plane t- tickets are booked. Everything's good to go. And uh, so, yeah, I'll be hunting again Pennsylvania before that and going to change up my strategy a little bit. So normally I, I like that last week of the season from like the the 6th to the 12th there, that November time frame when I liked my, you know, crick bottom setups and just those, those rut zone hunts. Well, since I'll be doing a little bit earlier, I think I'm going to focus a little bit more on hunting some scrapes. Uh, also still gonna, still gonna, like, I love the crick bottoms. I'm still gonna stay down in there, but, um, that's kind of what it's looking like going forward here. I, uh, I haven't even sat in a tree stand yet, which is kind of crazy, but I have not sat in a tree stand at all. Sat in a ground blind twice now, but other than that, I've been just still hunting and scouting while I'm doing it, trying to find where the doe groups are. Found four doe feeding could have shot them uh just on friday evening after work i had got out only had about an hour and a half to hunt got in 
got into some dough there so mark that spot on the onyx maps and we'll be uh we'll be noticing that as far as when i'm looking to hunt uh some of the doe bedding areas coming up here in, in the coming weeks so that was a pretty big deal moving on a little bit uh i want to talk about the rut stash challenge if you're not following along on social media or haven't seen it on the website yet you need to check it out so the hashtag rut stash challenge so what is that it's no shame till november just growing out your gnarliest rut stash that you can grow while raising money for conservation and backcountry hunters and anglers so how it kind of works is so you grow mustache through the month of october and beyond if you want to roll that into no shave november tag east meets west hunt on social media and use the hashtags hashtag rut stash and hashtag rut stash challenge and on november 1st i will pick three finalists and have people vote for the winner so that's the first part of the challenge the second part is to set up a fundraiser on facebook with the money going to backcountry hunters and anglers so it's actually really simple to do you just click on the link on mine on uh, facebook or if you go on the website the eastmeetswesthunt.com backslash journal backslash rutstash challenge there's a link there to my facebook fundraiser just click on mine below and start your own but make sure that you tag us in it and let us know you're doing it so we can see the the money that's raised from it so the goal is to actually have your friends and family on on social media sponsor you growing your rutstash and raise as much money as possible to you know continue to keep public lands in public hands the person who raises the most money will get the grand prize and i still haven't i don't have all the details on the giveaway items soon but there is a lot so far we have uh the weekender package from heather's choice um we have some stuff from wild care at deer attractant um we also have an elite membership from onyx hunt and um also some apparel packages from myself and east meets west and a bunch of other things that are going to be coming down that pipeline so check that out get involved and so far it's been it's been pretty good so after that like east meets west outdoors on facebook and follow east meets west hunt on instagram and the last thing you need to do is subscribe to the website at www.eastmeetswesthunt.com when a little pop-up comes up for the email listing just put your email in there and that's all you have to do so we have some like i said we'll have some additional prizes added hopefully here and get on there check that out and if you have any questions feel free to shoot me an email or a message and we'll go from there but for now enjoy this podcast that i recorded with rick maxson a couple weeks ago and let me know what you think all right we're live part two of the podcast with rick maxson Rick, we just got done with uh, the first hour of the podcast here talking about the bow shop, the bow shop experience. All that stuff's pretty awesome, but do it. Lattes. But now we're back and... Fresh latte. Let's talk about hunting. Let's talk about hunting. Do you like hunting? I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think Sometimes. everybody's like that. Sometimes. Most of the time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. So we're going to get into... You and I have a couple completely... 
<laughs> different styles of uh of it was honey. all foam <laughs> oh my god yeah i'm terrible tony shook it up for you i think thank you and it's borderline lukewarm yeah true yeah it has been sitting there for a little while but uh my bourbon yeah, let's talk hunting. Let's, let's, let's talk hunting and uh, see if we can keep this podcast under control. Do you think we can do that? <laughs> You're asking a lot. Yeah, that's true. Let's 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 wait and see what's going on. But hunting gets us both excited, worked up. May want to drink a little more. There's a lot of things that you know come into play with here, whether this podcast will be released or not. But yep. um, I think we're gonna get it going and. We're in a lot better place than we've been in the past. Sure. Uh, let's put it that way. Are we sticking to whitetails or? Yeah, let's stick to whitetails. Let's do it. I like whitetails. It's whitetail season. It is. We're it, done with elk season. Guys are coming back from the west. They're, yeah. They're, west is meeting east. And uh, let's start the West Meets East podcast. Here we go. West Meets East podcast, episode 001, <laughs> Ricky Maxson. Here we go. So, Rick. You, you know, grew up here in the Pittsburgh area and you've hunted a lot of different places, but we're going to talk about the three specific aspects of whitetail hunting when it comes to suburban deer hunting, farm country whitetails, which you have both experience in, and also mountain bucks, which is, seems to be kind of my, my, you know, specialty there. I don't, when I say specialty, I don't mean that I'm uh, very good at it. I just mean, that's what I hunt in. Right. Yep. So I don't think we're specialists in any three categories, but we can pretend it's a podcast. That's what we're gonna do. My podcast. They can't so. see our faces. No, they, right. they don't know. We can make up whatever the hell we <laughs> yeah, want. Exactly. Right. Take notes. Yeah. Get your notebook out. Yeah, get your notebook out. If you want to kill mature deer, <laughs> this is how you do it. Right. No. Yeah. And you just. I mean, dude. All three of those: suburban hunting, farm country hunting, big woods whitetail hunting. They're all for whitetails, and they're all three different animals three different techniques and tactics um yeah there's a lot of differences there um and they're and they're all just as challenging just in their own yeah, different way absolutely you know I mean? yeah yeah you know speaking of which you get a lot of guys like nowadays social media guys are like oh you know we talked about this recently you know oh that was you know public land question mark oh, i killed it on a private farm oh it's that that that's not as much of an accomplishment or you know, oh, that was a backyard buck and not a, you know, big woods buck or whatever it is. It doesn't, none of that matters because if you haven't hunted, if if you have hunted all three, you know how challenging all three can be. And if you haven't hunted the other one, it doesn't really put you in a place to, you know, to make judgment on it. So, yeah, um, yeah for us around here, growing up in Pittsburgh myself, yeah, man, suburban hunting, it, it's, it's different. Um, I love it it's there's definitely a challenge there uh you know that has nothing to do with whitetails it has to do with people a people challenge um but uh it it can be not as picturesque as you know most guys kind of like whether you're sitting giant big woods or like i said you're on a big farm in illinois or in pa or ohio or whatever it's different um but it definitely hosts a ton of potential to kill some really good whitetails. As a matter of fact, if you want to find the bigger, if you want to find a big buck, find houses, you know, and around here, that's, that's what it's all about. As a matter of fact, around here, the bigger the farm, a lot of times the smaller the deer, you got to get into those little woodlots and that, that can uh, just be a total different way to hunt. So why do you think that 
that some of these suburban areas hold these bigger deer? Well, it's the same. It's the same application to to big woods or farm country. It's all about security, right? So if you're hunting farm country or you're hunting big woods, if you want to find the big, giant, mature bucks, you got to find their security areas. Around here, the more the house is, the smaller the woodlot, the harder it is to hunt or the harder it is to get permission to be there or you can't get permission to be there because the landowners have you know said no to hunting or there's restrictions to, um, you know, um, zones, you know, zoning restrictions as far as how close you're to houses or whatever. And the deer know that, I mean, I mean, they've figured it out. If there's not people there hunting, they're going to be there. Um, so yeah, the smaller, the smaller the area, I think it's a security thing for them. Um, and it just basic management at that point. I mean, if they're, if they can live in a, in a small area and have food, water cover, and they don't get shot at, well, five years later, they're going to be a pretty big deer. Yeah, and and to kind of give uh, a precedent on wh- what kind of the quality of deer you can see, how about last year at the the shop? So, um, we hit one of the guys that comes down that scores for Pope and Young, I believe, mm-hmm. it does a lot of scoring at our shop. And how about that deer that came in last year? What two hundred four inches? Yeah, dude, that was crazy. Pennsylvania white, and that was suburban. Uh, not inner city, but you know, suburba, suburbia, Pittsburgh, you know, whitetail right there, freaking absolute mega giant, a deer that anywhere in the world, Kansas, Missouri, Illinois, Iowa would be a deer of a lifetime. Yeah. And it was killed probably within 200 yards of a house. Yeah. Not or, probably or, it was. Yeah. Or a housing <laughs> plan. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, kind of going back to like how it is to hunt. If, if, if you're listening, you haven't hunted it. You know, yeah, you can hear the birds chirping and the, the squirrels, you know, running through the leaves and all that good stuff amongst the sounds of leaf blowers, lawnmowers, school buses, kids screaming, um, car sirens, you know, helicopters flying over. What's that? Smell the grill. Yeah, you can smell people's grills. I've list, I've straight up out of tree stands with my binoculars have watched people's televisions through their windows. That's Are you a close. creep? I'm just saying. I mean, I wanted that. I was bored. I'm like, hey, check it out. Live PDs, live PDs on. I'm gonna watch live PD from my tree stand. You know what I mean? So <laughs> if I could watch live PD while I sit in the stand, I'm gonna do it. I'm just saying, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, no, and it, it it's weird. It's weird. I think one of the biggest challenges is finding an area that other hunters aren't in already and around here with all the housing plans being built um you know for example I mean, i'm losing i'm losing a, a chunk of our property this year to a house being built but they're wiping out hundreds and hundreds of acres of ground just to build these housing plans and the problem is it's displacing hunters as much as it's going to displace deer the three four guys that hunted that ground for the past 15 20 whatever years five years um those guys now have to find another place to hunt and so you know, you're, you're, you're the, one of the biggest challenges is finding ground that's not already over hunted and, and, or finding ground that there's not trespassers on, which is nearly impossible in Pennsylvania, at least in our area of Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, cause people just, it, it, they don't have a lot of ground to hunt, but the rewards can be great. If you have a good, if you have the right spot and you put your time in, you know, and it's all about, you don't talk about knocking on doors. You're not going to like knock on three doors and get a hundred acres, you're going to knock on 50 doors and get seven acres. 
Um, but if it's the right seven acres, you know, you're going to be in for a treat because there's some really good deer around here. Patterning them is differently, you know, all that stuff kind of changes, but it, it can be good. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you've, uh, watched it all, Rick, but there's a YouTube channel. Seek one productions has a thing, suburban bow hunting out of a, around Atlanta, Georgia, where they're killing some mega giants, mega giants, 200 inch deer, 180 inch deer. Like, and that goes not just for the Pittsburgh area, but that goes for a lot of the suburbs oh, across every, America, you know, every big city, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of the big cities too within city limits there's a ton of regulations most of them you can't even hunt the, the most of the regulations are no hunting yeah. um and so you're gonna get your guys are gonna go in there and do what they want anyways they're gonna kill big deer but um the guys that are gonna do it right and get permission and and scout and do what they can um you know yeah you get into those small pockets man you're gonna find big deer like I said, to me, it's all about security. These deer can hang out in people's yards. You know, they're 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 feeding on the bird feeder next to the swing set. The kids come home from school, they run back to the swing set, they bump that deer into the woods. That's what can be super challenging about trying to pattern these deer in these areas because a lot of their movement is based upon human movement. You know, um, the other problem is too, goddamn things getting hit by cars and stuff. You got a big deer on camera, saying disappears and. You know, he's roadkill, you know, or something like that. So um, that can be a challenge too. But yeah, it, it's different. It's fun. Last year, we had a really good experience here uh, in Southwest Pennsylvania, suburban area, surrounded by houses, a, a property I've been hunting, uh, property I learned how to bow hunt on, um, killed my first deer there, you know, the whole nine yards with a bow, um, first deer with a bow. But So how big is this property? Um, oh, total, including the neighbors that I, I, I can't hunt. Um, 30, 30 acres. And that's, like and that. that's big. That's for, big for around here. Yeah. You yeah. Know, unless you're hunting in a park program or there are some private landowners around here that have some bigger chunks, but for the most part, yeah, most people around here are hunting five acres, six acres, seven acres, 10, I would say 10 acres or less are a lot of the pockets that you're hunting. So having 30 acres, it, I do consider it big. Um, 30 acres to most people, especially if guys are listening and they're out Midwest or something, they're probably laughing at 30 acres. You know? Yeah. I have a 30 acre sanctuary that I don't touch for deer, you know, or I got food plots that are twice the size of that or 10 times the size of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, 30 acres and, and we've gone to the extent of putting in, you know, a little half acre, quarter acre food, kill, kill plot, you know, kill plot food plots in there over the years, trying to kind of change what we can do. Um, but it's an old, it's an old farm. It was an equestrian farm. It still maintains a lot of that, but um, there's an old overgrown apple orchard in the back, um, big thicket. We have a pond, creek, and we have two very small oak flat stands, you know, stands of hardwoods that uh, this year, for example, I mean, they're killing it with acorns. Um, but it's it's a, it's a little slice of heaven, man. I'm lucky to have... Um, kind of all those features in one 30 acre piece of property. Um, but they exist a lot around here because a lot of the ground around here was old farms or it is, you know, is, is old farms, um, that housing plans have been put on, but you can still find little spots, little chunks of apple trees still exist. Um, and things like that, that the old farms had, um, and you can utilize them or clearing small fields that you can do throw and grow plots and things like that. So you can apply similar techniques that a lot of the guys in the Midwest or, you know, on, in farm country are applying to killing their whitetails. If you have that capability, you can still apply them here. Uh, yeah. 
doesn't it, necessarily work as well, but it's still it's still effective. Yeah, because I mean, like the way your farm from me being walking in the first place you took me shed hunting, like we talked about in the last podcast, was there. And like you said, you have the little clearing, you have apple tree, you have oak trees until this housing, this house went in, you had the cover. Yeah, we had a huge thicket. I mean, just that, that lot that sold is seven acres and all seven of it is, was all, you know, overgrown, nasty, nasty brush. I mean, we've shot deer, they've run in there. It's a freaking nightmare to get them out of there, but, uh, that's your cover, man. So it, it had, it had that it's, you know, one of the challenging parts when you're hunting the wind is you can't, you don't have a lot of places to go. You're very limited to where you can put your stand. So when you say, oh, I'm going to hunt the wind, well, I can't get on the far east side of that thicket because the thicket, there's a house there. You know what I mean? So I can't hunt that from that angle. Um, but you figure it out, man. You, 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 what I found last year was I think, and I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but I think it's a really good technique for people hunting suburban whitetails to kind of think about if, if it applies for your property, but that's, you know, just a ton of surveillance, you know, watching everything that happens. So trail cameras, you know, being a big part of that last year, uh, you know, we carry, we've carried a bunch of trail cameras over the years of the store. Um, we, we have a brand now that we sell, you know, Cuddy back, obviously a big brand. They've been around for a long time, um, but they have a system called their Cuddy link system that came out last year. And so it allows, you know, everybody cell cams are pretty big nowadays. It's similar to that, but what it allows you to do is take cameras, trail cameras, put them in these bedding areas, put them in, in the, the, that small little woodlot that you're hunting. You may only need a couple cameras. You don't need to have, you know, 10 cameras in there, but, um, or if you, if you do want 10 cameras in there, you're to check all 10, you're going to blow out your whole property because it's a small piece of ground. So you're going to walk your whole piece of ground just to check, just check your trail cameras. You're going to scare every deer off there. Right. And so that's obviously not good if you're hunting mature whitetails because they're not going to like that. You you might get away with that a couple of times, but you blow them out of there, you know, more than, uh, two or three times, they're probably not coming back. So the Cuddy link system allows you to put a home base camera. For me, I have it at the house that the property's from and all the other cameras on the property, when they sit, when they take pictures, they send all their pictures back to that home. Um, so when I check cameras, all I have to do is just walk up, get out of the truck, essentially walk 25 yards, pull one SD card. That SD card's got files for all the cameras on that property so it's a cool tool we used it last year for the first time Bo, you were a big part of that tony was a big part of that kind of figuring out you know once once i found this deer who you know just a, I mean he's just a crazy deer non-typical he had 14 points double main beam little drop he was cool he had kickers and stuff a lot of character that was a deer that i'd had in previous years as a just a standard you know mainframe eight but he kind of got weird on one side um it allowed us though to to watch him and watch every move he made without disrupting the property. When you have those small woodlots, it's hard to not disrupt the whole property. If you have a homebody deer, he's he's gonna know you're there. You know, especially yeah. if you're if you you know your access in it maybe you can only access the property from one spot. Well, if the wind's good at your stand, 
it may be really bad while you're walking in, you know? So yeah, you know, a North wind or a West wind, whatever, maybe a perfect wind once you get to your stand. But when you're the entire time you're walking in is blowing your scent across a 10 acre piece of property. Guess what? Every deer in there knows you're there before you're even to your tree stand. So that can be a challenge for hunting these small woodlots. Access is difficult. Um, stand placement is difficult because you're very limited to what you can do. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and I think last year's experience to kind of get into that story a little bit was your ideal, you know, suburban hunting experience and the way we all kind of, you know, collaborated on, on figuring out that deer and that cutty link system was huge for that. Yeah. That was, yeah. That three down last year, I had three cutty link cameras on that property. I had a couple other cameras that were non-link cameras and those cameras I only checked when, when I was hunting and, and I had them placed strategically in areas that I could quickly get to without disrupting anything while I'm already, I already know I'm walking in, right? So my scent's already there. I'm already hunting today. Well, I might as well just walk, you know, I'm going to have that camera in a, in a position in a place that I can get to it without disrupting yeah. more of the property, right? So those other cameras were used strategically just for that situation. And, and you had, so you described the deer um, already and everything, but so you're checking, you know, the home cam or you're getting that information that intel when he started showing up what was the beginning of october when did he start showing yeah, it was up end of september he kind of started showing up right out of velvet and he had another big one that had kind of come around not as frequent but i hadn't hunted it you know so we can hunt you know in allegheny county here we can hunt mid-september for buck or doe and my whole life growing up and you're just etching to get out there and draw blood so you know opening day you're going opening day of doe season we can only hunt does we were out there killing does on our properties because we wanted to draw blood. We're bow hunters, right? I was super just eager to get out there and be in the tree stand. Um, last year, didn't do that, right? So we, we, we found a shooter. We found a mature deer that we knew we knew he was going to be the deer, the kind of main focal point of what I was going to hunt and laid off the property and used tools that companies in our industry are giving us. Um, and if you don't have the capabilities or whatever, the scenario to, to, to have those tools, it doesn't mean you can't kill these big deer, but think about your camera placements and things like that. So if you're going to go in and check them, that it's minimal disruption, you know, and still pay attention, you know, still spray down your boots, you know, watch what you're touching with your hands and things like that so that you're not leaving scent and things. Um, you know, you don't have to have the newest and greatest to do these things um, to be successful, but if you can, there, there are some great tools out there. Um, you know, so yeah, he started showing up late September and, uh, nocturnal, you know, as always, they're always nocturnal. It seems like when they come out of velvet, um, and we just watched them and you had shown me that weather underground, which is just a standard, you know, weather app for your phone. It's a website too, but you can go back and really see lot you can see last year's weather patterns and things like that so if a deer you're patterning from a couple of years you can see what they do how they react to weather changes yeah before weather conditions it. what yep. they're what they're up to and that's what we did we knew that that deer he started showing up in daylight in the mornings um and he, i think he came in a couple very rarely in the evening but he did show up in the evening in daylight right before dark um and he was coming from different 
different ways. He was, you know, we knew, you know, on, on this wind direction or whatever on this day, he came from the East when he walked in front of that camera. And then two days later, he was coming directly out of the West in the morning. Um, and looking at the wind directions on those days, looking at the three days before and the three days after what the winds were going to do, what the temperature was going to do, what was the weather like, we were able to put down a pattern on how this deer was moving and, and how he was moving based upon weather. Yeah. And then the biggest thing was you didn't put pressure on him. No, we watched him. Yeah. yeah. You, you watched him from Which afar. Sucked, by the way. And yeah. That was I, shitty. I remember because you're like, that was I don't have a lot of places to hunt and I want to hunt, but I we, yeah. we got to do this smart. And we'd, I did, sit, we'd I, sit down in the shop at night and like look at the camera pictures. Like he's doing this. Do you, you think we could strike or do you think I could strike now or what? And, you know, yeah, we were we drawing all, charts and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we had, we had some really good paper maps. Honestly, anybody wants to draw us up, draw you up, you know, a custom map. It looked like a two-year-old. The first time they like got their hands on a box of crayons and just started scribbling all over their wall, you know, it was pretty bad. But we knew what they said. We knew what they must meant. Yeah, we, we we could figure it out. By the way, we were talking about it. But that deer just started, and as he started showing himself in daylight, you know, we're like, what's he doing? He's why like, did he do that? Yeah, yeah, why is he doing that? You know, why is he reacting to it? And it came down to a point where we were able to figure it out through weather underground and everything else. He's moving. He's coming, he's betting in this place basically is what it came down to on this wind direction. And he's moving this much earlier when the temperatures drop and everything else. And what, what, uh, what date was it that you killed him? Yeah, October 16th. It was right in the middle of October. So that, that deer, he had started, yeah, he started coming in, you know, October 12th. And, uh, and as he started coming in there, you know, we're trying to figure out what is the plan. And you're like, you know, your bounce ideas off us and you're giving your plan. We're going back and forth. Cause you don't want to, you mess it up. Like I said, you, you only get a couple chances. You, you mess him up once. He may never come back. Yeah. You know, so, and, and it finally came to the point where was it a cold front that came through? It was a cold front. So we knew, we knew when the winds were out of the North or out of the West, that he was going to bed on that opposite side of the property that he had originally had kind of shown up from. Um, at least we had thought he had been bedding over there. Um, but just based upon direction of travel on those cameras, when the winds were in that predominant winds were going that direction. So we had, a, we had a cold front come through and it, it was short. I think it was only like a day or something or two days. We had a cold front came through where the temperature swing was greater than I believe like 10 degrees um yeah. within it might like have been a, more than that yeah it might have been, been more it's like within 24 hours the temperature had really swung low and then it it climbed again you know because it's early season hunting um and we saw that ahead of time you know looking at the 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 weather apps and things like that and so it just so happened the temperature was swinging at the same time the wind was predominant to when he would show up from from a direction that I could access the stand without disturbing him. I knew he wasn't going to bed on the side of the farm where I would access where I would walk in. Um, I had two access points, and the main access that I wanted to walk in, I was afraid he was bedding there some of the time. So we knew he was going to be the opposite side of the farm, and I knew that the last time this, that temperature swung like that, he was out in daylight, and he was out 
in the morning and he was also out in the evening. Um, so yeah, talk to the guys and everyone's like, dude, go kill him. Like you, this is it. Like, this is your chance to come to you. It was like, it was like the first time I'd ever hunted dude butterflies. It was crazy. Cause the anticipation was so Do you great. remember, do you remember that? Cause okay. So this was a Monday that you ended up going in and killing them. I remember on that Saturday, it was something like it was potential for you to do it. Like, I don't have to work. Like I can hunt. I hunted and them. I think I hunted them that Saturday. That, that evening. That though. evening. I yeah. You hunted them that evening. Yep. And I saw a couple small bucks, didn't see him. Yep. And yeah, he he had another pretty good eight point he was with. I saw him that night and I got out of there. Um, didn't see him, you know, nothing. Went in Sunday, checked the cameras. He was in there that night, but like 45 minutes after I had left. So I just got out of there in time and I was ready. I knew when shooting light was over, I'm out of here. I can't sit. I can't mess around and stick in you know fiddle with my equipment and climb down slow i had to get out of there quick because if i didn't see him in daylight he was not far behind gonna be there and i did not want to be climbing out of the stand 30 yards from where i was getting him on camera so got out of there didn't spook him sunday knew he was there so knew didn't didn't mess him up which was good and then yeah monday pretty much was like this is it. You know, I thought for sure I was going to kill him Monday morning uh, just to, based upon our intel. It was, it, it was like Monday morning. I thought, yeah, really good chance to kill him Monday night. I had a decent chance. Um, and Monday morning went in, hunted, you know, saw a good amount of deer. Didn't see him. Um, wind was right all morning. Everything everything was perfect. I, and I was going to stay all day because I, I had the opportunity to. But I just I didn't want to play the game. The, the midday, the, the, I knew the winds were starting to kind of get shifty. So I snuck out of there, went home, took another scent-free shower. You know, I think I even washed my clothes again. I'm not even sure. I was going like crazy. And came came back in, sprayed down again, and snuck in from that same access point and got up in the stand. Then I knew it was like, if I'm going to kill this deer, it's going to be like just after 6 o'clock. Do you remember the text that we had going back and forth? You're in the stand. You're like, oh, you know, I didn't see him this morning. I thought it was going to happen and stuff. And I, I don't know what it was. And like, and I know absolutely nothing about suburban hunting, but just like I had that feeling. I'm like, Rick, this is this is your like, night. Tonight, tonight's going to happen. It's going to happen tonight. It's going to. And I was just like, and, sure and my so. thing that people have heard me say on this podcast or in the elk hunt that obviously didn't work out. But I was like, hundred percent. Like this is this, this is going to happen. Yep. And said te- text me when you shoot him I'll, I'll bring lattes yes exactly that's exactly what <laughs> text me when i shoot him i'll bring i'll bring some bush lattes over yeah and uh yeah dude it was like six i don't know four or something i looked up and coming from the direction i we had planned for him to come from a small buck like a spike or a little four came across the top of the field and he dropped down and kind of started working his way to me and behind him a basket rack eight started coming in and behind him that other bigger eight and he was super tempting to kill he was a nice deer probably probably a three-year-old three and a half year old deer pretty good mass nice pa kind of standard pa good good eight point he had come out into the field and i'm like man these are the deer i have on camera with him where's he at and then it was just total difference i mean those deer body size and just the color, you know, a little lighter color. And all of a sudden this deer, I, I just catch him on the top of the fence row, put my binos up and uh, I saw his rack. You could just see the body difference was substantially, you know, bigger, darker, you know, darker hair. He was just, he just looked way more mature. I'm like, dude, there he is. And uh, it was like, you could have, if it was a story, 
Like if you're going to write a story, like this is how it would work in a perfect world. Yeah. That's what happened on a string. Just literally follow those smaller bucks in came in and I had uh, a mock scrape that we had been putting there with some pre-orbital. Um, we carry a lot of that stuff at the store, the pre-orbital sense only what I've been using. I haven't used doe and estrus or anything. I just been using pre-orbital on scrapes and just trying to get those bucks pattern to be there. Especially if you're applying the pre-orbital during daylight hours, they know that they can figure that out. So he, I mean, that was it. Walked right in, came into that scrape and I shot him. I think my arrow was in the scrape. It was. Yeah. You left it there. I have a photo yeah. that I took of your nocturnal lit up yeah. as your arrow was Stand, in standing in the scrape. Yeah. It was, uh, it was unreal, man. It was, it was really, I think the best part about it wasn't even like, yeah, he was an incredible deer to kill. Probably won't kill anything, you know, as cool as he is, um, again, in Pennsylvania or anywhere for that matter. But it was just the process I think that was really cool to kill him and how we took the time to just not be out there just hunting, 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 hunting. It was, you know, more of the, the, the chase, more of the, you know, the strategy, kind of, yeah, the exactly. strategy leading into it. Yeah. And that was the coolest part. And, uh, yeah, then texting you, I'm like, dude, bring the lattes and, uh, all the guys showed up and, and honestly, I, I was kind of pissed at that point because I had just put a pizza in the oven mm -hmm. and Rick's like, dude i killed him i was like no i was like i j i have 20 minutes left on this pizza like you gotta you gotta wait like you can't go look if for you were you you'd lived at that point you lived a decent ways away what 30 30 minutes 30 north, minute drive, yeah. yeah and i got my pizza out and i, I literally i ate the whole pizza in a very short melted amount the of time roof, melted the roof of your mouth yeah i i, I yeah, I was in bad shape. And luckily, I had a, a fresh case of lattes by the door that I knew was... You always have to have that during hunting season. Oh, yeah, for to go help buddies out. And, and we went down, and luckily, it was a very short track job that, you know, the deer died within seconds of the arrow, you know, penetrating his body cavity there. And we found him. It was me, you, and, and Sean Fuchs. And well, Fuchs got there first, and we're up at the truck, and I'm like... I'm beside myself just killed at the time was my biggest deer and uh i was freaking out just the whole process leading out all the anticipation it was i was like i was blacked out um <laughs> and Sean sh shows up and we're talking dude we're gonna we're i mean again suburban hunting you know small woodlots and these this whole pack of coyotes just light up right where i back where i was hunting i'm like you have got to be kidding me dude these dogs where first of all where are these coyotes coming from i rarely i mean i had a couple times had coyotes on camera but not a whole lot but a whole pack of them screaming down there i'm like dude we're shining flashlights and like we got to go and i was texting you like where are you at you know so sean and i went down just to make sure there wasn't coyotes tearing them up um but yeah like you said short track job and uh it was pretty incredible to get my hands on them dude it was uh like i said i i would i would say it was way more rewarding not because the size or quality of that deer, but it was more rewarding because of the, the strategy worked. The what we did, putting the time in on surveillance, you know, using cameras and looking at the weather and wind direction and mapping that out. I thought that was the coolest part of the hunt. Yeah, and it was. But I mean, walking up on them, I took a video of your reaction when you found yeah. them, and it was just like the coolest thing. Like I've never seen a buck like that. Thank you and. And, uh, of, again, it, he was a giant, I mean, he was a big deer and I think he's 
if for people that are into scoring, I mean, you think he was in the 130s, was he? Yeah, it, just just barely was under 140. He was high 30. Yeah, but just it like didn't the matter. None coolest. of that. I mean. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't. But it was just like the just to give a reference for size and, and everything. Like, but the deer was just so cool. Had character like no buck I've ever seen in my life. Double main beam, points coming off everywhere. Like the coolest thing. And you know, and again, this is what's so different between your and I's hunting style. I mean, our drag was like 60 yards. Uh, and then you get the, the truck most. down the yeah, back I, of the I, yard. I, drug, I, I drove the truck down to the pond, and we drug them probably 40 yards. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> yeah, got made photos, um, enjoyed a couple beers, and literally that was like, that's the best part of hunting season for me when I get that call or text from my buddies and saying like, you know, BBD, you know, the typical, you know, the crush, Lee and Tiffany, BBD. Heck, anything chooch the other day, calling, saying he had a doe down. It was like, hell yeah, man, let's go get her. Yeah. You know, let's go drag her out. That was a lot of fun. Bush. But yeah, so that started the season for the store. I said, if you want to call it the store season, but uh, we started the season off, you know, with a freaking bang, I was able to kill that deer. Super lucky to kill him and, and just really happy about it. And then we got into, I mean, like I said, that was early October, or that was mid-October. Yeah. So we were just getting into the heat of the best what, time of year. What ended up being in also the best hunting season that oh, we yeah. had, you know, collaboratively. And yep. Well, when I don't know when Nate killed his, but uh, yeah, a friend of mine, Nate, killed a what, 180s. 185 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 184 and what was that 180 something and zero zero inches or something or whatever yeah yeah just an absolute freaking slob of a whitetail and pennsylvania and public land did public that. land pennsylvania <laughs> and which is better than private land right? yeah 100 yeah, percent better yeah your no. your sock no yeah. i'm kidding yeah, exactly <laughs> um but yeah public land deer you know big woods deer and uh really really cool cool deer for him to kill once in a lifetime buck maybe as big as buck of his life hopefully not but uh yeah i think we went there and then uh another big you know mid 70s high 70s deer was killed um that we were involved with phenomenal freaking whitetail yeah and then to get into that story a little bit i mean we might as well talk about it this this deer that that uh we called choco that had come in and rick and again and you and tony and everyone at the store is a big part of that deer i was raking leaves and you called me and you're like, dude, you won't believe this. Dude, I just got an absolute mega giant. And actually, it was a deer that you had on camera the previous year. Yeah. And you're like, he's back. I'm like, dude, no way that you got him. He's like, yeah, dude, I got him. I found I found where he's living. I got, I'm in his bedroom. And I'm raking leaves. I'm like, dude, send me pictures. I'm like, I couldn't freaking handle it. And then you sent me those pictures. That was mind-boggling, those trail camera pictures. Yeah, because like, so, and again, I've talked about a little bit on the podcast. The train I hunt, kind of switch gears a little bit, is mountainous Pennsylvania, or as we call it, mountains. It's more of, you know, steep hill country type big woods. Uh, no food plots, no farm fields. It's just No houses. Timber. No, no houses no leaf blowers it's just no school timber buses. unbroken timber and there was a deer that that we were hunting last year that we named choco which was short for chocolate drop because in 2016 i guess it was i got two photos of them in daylight and a camera i let soak on a scrape that uh when i say let's soak it was a camera i let out all season never checked until after the season 
and this buck came by with a big drop tine and a beautiful chocolate rack. Dark. And, I mean, just dark as you can be, almost Canadian looking. Yeah, it looked like a Saskatchewan deer. Yeah, and this deer, um, well, when I first got him on camera after the season in 2016, completely consumed me. And But the thing was that he only showed up. It was one day and one night, and they were congruent with each other. So right in a row, um, October 22nd and 23rd, I believe it was, he came through. And so I knew the deer wasn't living in the area. So to kind of save you the details on it, all spring, look for his sheds, scouting, trying to find where he bedded, and ended up finding a spot. It was over a mile away from that trail cam photo that I found his big bed and a rub that was the size of my thigh next to it. And I was like, these type of deer don't, you know, they don't, they, they're not, uh, they're not everywhere. They're not yeah. everywhere in Pennsylvania. So like kind of had a very good idea. That was him. And there was an area, it was in a Creek bottom with some beaver ponds and everything. And there was a, a hemlock tree that had five scrapes underneath it with one of them being a primary scrape with a big branch broke off. I mean, as picture perfect as you can imagine, um, for finding, you know, a whitetail of this size. So like I, I marked that spot, obviously came back the next fall. So now we're fast forwarding to 2007. And you're using up there. You say you marked that spot Onyx, right? Yeah. I'm using, yeah. So yeah. Onyx, if you guys aren't familiar with, and we utilize that for my kill too, but Onyx, the Onyx hunt app on your phone, um, is freaking phenomenal for, for marking, oh, yeah. marking, Stuff you find, marking stands, marking cameras, marking everything. Um, and, and now they even have the wind direction part yeah, of it, uh, yep, the new update. Yep. Not getting off topic, but if you are if you haven't used that app and you want to use that app, the guys over there are great. Stop down the bow shop. We have some free one-year premium memberships at the store if you're looking to just try it for a year. And it's free. It doesn't charge you. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, stopping bucks and bows. Otherwise, it's going to cost you about 30 or $40 a year. Um, to do it, which is well worth it. But if you get a chance, stop in the store, and we'll get you guys hooked up with that. But so the Onyx, you know, we use Onyx. I marked down the spots and everything there. Now again, fast forward 2017, go in there, set a camera on that scrape, and to kind of where Rick left off on the story was, I walked in there the one day to hang a stand because I just felt super good about it. And I, I love setting up over beaver ponds because. The reason being is a lot of people say you can't hunt creek bottoms because of the thermals and, and the mountain trains, which is correct a lot of times. The thermals go down in the mornings, and as the sun heats up the mountains, the thermals go up. So it doesn't, I guess, go with your your dominant wind direction. And But with a beaver pond, the water is always warmer than the air when you get cold temperatures. So it raises the it, – it takes the thermal straight up. So when you set up a stand right on the edge of a beaver pond and you have the dominant wind, which is coming down the mountain in the mornings, it's blowing your scent right into that beaver pond, which then takes your scent straight up. And so it just seemed like the perfect spot for a stand. When I walked in there, looked underneath the the pine cover, the hemlock cover, I just saw a glow of a giant rub. And I was like, he's back. And check the trail camera. And there he was. And just a jump. Oh, I mean, and, and this year, I don't know if last year he had broken it off, and I couldn't tell from the photos, but he had a big kicker coming off the back of his G2. Like, when I say a big kicker, 
I don't mean, you know, a spike coming off it. He had a seven inch kicker coming off his back G2 with a split and a, and a big drop time coming off the other front beam. And he was just like a buck of a lifetime, no matter what state you're hunting in, let alone Pennsylvania. So I went back down the shop and, and Rick, Tony and I and and a couple of the other guys sat down, looked down the computer. I'm showing the topo maps, kind of going through it, trying to figure out what's this deer going to do. And at this time, it was right after you killed your buck. It was right around that time that I started getting photos of him. So middle of October, and he 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 was coming to that scrape right after dark and right in the morning and i'm like he's utilizing that bed again that i found i think he's bedding there again so in the in the mountains they don't use the same bed and again this is my interpretation of hunting there my whole life and and not fact but from what i've learned is that they don't use the same bed year round they change quite a bit but when they're using a bed you got to act on it now which is way different than suburban hunting very because a lot of times these deer are going to bed maybe not in the same bed but they're going to bed in the same exact area because that's the only area they have to bed yeah yep so up there they have a lot more options and so that's what kind of is what changes the challenge a little bit Mm -hmm. and and a lot of times in that hill country mountainous they they you know bet on the points about three quarters the way up on hills where this was in a creek bottom a little bit different than what you you know you'd read about or anything else and he was definitely using that but before i you know wanted to go in and hunt it i had to make sure that everything was right so we're using weather underground we're using onyx we're using everything else to try to review that and we sat down and it happened to be a, a giant cold front was coming through October 25th with a 20 degree temperature drop, which is huge for that time of year and everything else. And we had the the Halloween shoot going on at the bow shop at that time. And I was going to be staying down there. And my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she had been with me through the process and, and I was like, you, you need to be in there and hunting that. And, and Rick's like, this is, this is it. Like this buck has a potential to be killed that day. Right. And so, and again, I'm, I'm skipping a little bit of the steps here, but we reviewed the trail cam photos, took the information we got off of that, combine it with the weather conditions, the wind, everything else that was happening and figured this is the, the day that this buck has a potential to be killed and to pattern a deer in the big woods is not doesn't happen very often you just don't pattern them because they feed on brows they feed on a lot of different things that they're just moving constantly but with that time of year october 25th being and what i believe a lot of the the oldest deer just start searching for that first doe that's going to come to estrus even though they're not ready yet they're searching with yeah, the they're weather start, they're starting to hit scrapes a lot harder mm-hmm. and yep Yep, so with that scrape being next to the bedding area, it just it had the perfect, I mean, everything you could ask for was right there. And she w- went into the stand that morning and that buck ended up coming in. She grunted him in and, and essentially killed him at, at, uh, well, missed him at 12 yards, hit a branch and went out the 25 and stopped and got a shot at him again, killed him. And that buck, yeah, that 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 buck, and again, for for scoring sakes, was in the one seventies. Ended up being one hundred seventy seven inches, give or take. 
and it was just a, a six and a half year old monarch of a Pennsylvania deer. And so that, that just to, to kind of go back here to, and encompass the whole thing is he was a mile and a half away a year ago around that same date and they move. They move a lot in the mountains, which covers a little more ground than suburban hunting. But you know, I'm not. I'm not dealing with they the can, people aspect. They can still move suburban hunting. I mean, you're these deer. I mean, deer, deer. Yeah. You know, so there's still the potential for them in a suburban setting to move. However, I think the big thing too, Bo, is you know what are your doe populations? So down here, we're in a special regs area where there's a ton of does. We're able to kill. Essentially, I mean, there's not unlimited, but damn near unlimited doe tags. And you you could buy doe tags over the counter. I mean, you, they're not going to run out. There's does everywhere. So they don't have to travel to find does. They don't have to travel to find, you know, those security pockets and stuff like that. Where up north, less doe population, food's a little more spread out. You know, there's not like a bird feeder every 50 feet. Or they could just go eat at or whatever. Um, so yeah, they got they got to they got to move. It, it they can still do that in suburbia, but they don't need to, right? And I think that's what changes, you know, the deer movement and how you're going to think about hunting those deer and what potential they have based upon where you're hunting them. And that's a, that's a very good point, and it's something I'm glad you touched on is that the doe population is so different. So, like you said up there, it's a low deer density area. And so the bucks have to go quite a ways to find does. I mean, they, they're, they're, there's small pockets, but there might be, there could be, you know, again, this is talking out my ass here, but say seven does per square mile. That's, that's really low. That's not a lot, but they're in these little pockets. And, and down here, it's seven does per square foot. Yeah. Seven <laughs> <laughs> Right. So they, they 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 move around a lot, and this buck was out searching, coming back to his bed in the morning. It was nine thirty in the morning on October twenty fifth. A lot of people were getting out of their stand at that point, yeah. and he was coming back to bed at that time when when uh, she ended up killing him. I was getting supplies for the Halloween shoot, driving around when I got the call. Yep, I was I was at work and I got the call about it, and she called me and was completely ecstatic. And right away I knew what buck it was. I mean, there was no mistake in that deer. When you have a drop tine coming off the front and a kicker coming off the back, that description doesn't, uh, it's, you can't, you, there's no ground shrinkage there because no. you know what deer it is. And I think the cool part too was, again, not just the kill, not just the deer, but, you know, with mine, it was the strategy, the planning, the anticipation, everything that went into this deer. And then for you, it was the exact same scenario. It was the strategy, the planning, the anticipation that went into this deer. It just so happened. It doesn't work every time with whitetail hunting, but it just so happened for us within, I think, a two-week span, bang, bang, two big freaking killer awesome PA whitetails hit the ground, and that aspect of the hunts was there. Yeah, and that, that whole, you know, the, and, and each of them had their own, and like my whole thing with the podcast is, you know, how do you define adventure? And each of them had their own adventure from a completely different level. Sure. Totally and pretty much polar opposite. Yeah. I mean, they had the same concept. We're out there to, you know, attempt to kill a whitetail. I mean, that's, that's, that's what it boils down to. But each of them had their own, you know, struggles and, and things that went along with it. 
that had happened and and again the deer was absolutely magnificent and just to to go a little further the differences between the suburban hunting and the mountain hunting are it's almost like they're two different whitetails like you said and it all comes down to you know the the deer density you come down to the hunting pressure you come down to just human interaction you're coming down to the way the terrain lays out and everything else it's that's what's awesome about whitetail hunting is you can hunt them in so many variety of places we're lucky in pa to have that variety and we we laugh about it and we're saying why Pennsylvania is the best state in America and maybe a lot, not a lot of people agree with that. But the reason is we have everything. We have yeah. mountains, we have farm country, we have suburban areas, we have cities, we have lakes, we have four seasons. We got we got everything in Pennsylvania. But honestly, whitetail hunting sucks, so don't come here. Yeah. Um Yeah, it's not worth out of state the, the out of state tag is like forty thousand dollars. Yeah. Which is super expensive. Forty thousand dollars and you have to give up your first kid. Like it's it's pretty bad. It's not here. worth it. It's definitely not. But getting out of state, to talk about a little farm country hunting, and that's that's here. You can definitely find some good deer farm country around here. Alec, who works for us at the store, good friend of ours, he he hunts in a county in Pennsylvania, western Pennsylvania that's predominantly farm country. Um, I've been lucky over the past you know many years to be able to go out to the Midwest, and you want to talk about a different animal. I mean, same whitetail, totally different animal, totally different approach. Some more, I would say there's more similarities to Midwest whitetail hunting to mountain hunting than there is to suburban hunting as far as the the animal you're chasing because there's less human interaction, right? So your your decisions, <laughs> like there's a the the decisions you make there's a lot more pressure on it, right? Because these deer don't put up with a whole lot of shit. Yeah. Um, you know, so going out there and hunting in Illinois last year, she killed that deer right around Halloween. And I think right after that, I left like days after that, mm-hmm. I got in the truck and drove out there by myself. It was a really cool hunt. Um, you know, kind of like out of my element for sure, out of my comfort zone, um, driving, you know, 11 hours in a truck, which I know isn't a whole lot considered guys going out west but 11 hours in a truck by myself not hunting with anybody the whole week you know i don't have friends with me or anything like that um you know and going out there and, and chasing big deer out in the midwest is a you know it's, it's a whole different ball game and uh being a suburban pa boy you got a lot to learn and i i i remember my first year out there kind of like sitting in the stand going all right where's the big buck i've seen it on tv he's going to walk out he's going to hit the scrape picture perfect i'll shoot him and i think it took me four that was my fourth trip to illinois um before i was able to get a you know a shooter in range and just so happened to be on the very last day of the hunt with like 20 minutes of light left that's your uh, that's your thing though you did it the year before in ohio to yeah, Ohio, that's, that yeah two years ago you're Ohio, all about yeah. the last day last, last second yeah. light you know. well you got to enjoy the whole hunt when you're on a trip like that you got to go through the ups and downs the struggles and then right before you leave just go ahead and cap it off for the kill yeah i mean yeah. it's but that was a deer we had on camera and a deer we knew was in the area it was a mid 50s 10 point heavy wide tall i mean he had he had hated all he was a solid deer um you know mature buck and uh 
he was on that, if you want to call it that hit list, right? There's another one too. He was older, but kind of going down here, kind of real weird looking rack, sort of non-typical, but this 10 point kind of looking at the trail camera pictures, man, I was, I was in love at first sight with this deer and, uh, had some encounters throughout the week and, you know, talk about getting out of your element a little bit too. I mean, I had applied some tactics that I normally apply here with, with, you know, putting pre-orbital on scrapes and things like that, but, you know, hunting deer that don't get human interaction and hunting these big woods where you just kind of like, you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. You're a, you're a pin drop in the middle of this vast territory where there's more spots for the whitetails to go than not, which around here, there's more, there's less spots for the whitetails to go. You know what I mean? There's more houses. So, um, totally different. You kind of feel like you're just like in the middle of nowhere and, and you get, just got to have this mature deer just so happen to pick the tree you're in the time you're there in daylight and he's got to walk within bow range. And as a bow hunter, that's part of that big challenge. Um, you know, but yeah, deer that chased them all week, a couple encounters, um, you know, and on the last night I had a guy come in camp, really awesome guy. Um, you know, and I told him about what was going on and some experiences I had and he's like, Hey, are you using, you know, do, do you have a decoy? And I'm like, I don't have a decoy, freaking decoy. If I used a decoy in Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, he'd have 50 holes in them. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> the amount of freaking hunters, I'm like, no, I don't have a decoy. And not to mention they probably scare I, I don't know. I have never used decoy around here. I don't know a lot of people that do, but I don't know if they'd be as effective. Um, but yeah, so he's like, I said, no, I, I, you know, I don't have a decoy. I've never used one. And I, you know, he's like, well, I got one in the back of my truck. I'm not going to use it tomorrow. Do take it with you. You know, we're doing all day sits, which is another big difference from hunting suburban hunting. You know, not normally doing all day sits because midday, you know, the neighbor's probably going to walk their dog, you know, down through the woods or you might get horseback riders or bike riders or whatever. So midday when all the people are out are not the best times to be there. Um, it, a- average, you know, generally speaking out there, you know, you're sitting all day and it's brutal, man. Freaking five days to sit in a tree stand. I know it's, I'm sure it's way, I've never been elk hunting. I'm sure it's way brutal hiking up and down mountains after five days, but I don't know. It's all it's all relevant, man. I don't it's, know, man. It's five days of you know, pretty much the same tree stand, the same trees you're looking at, the same branches you're looking at. I mean, the same goddamn squirrels are running around. You know what I mean? It's just like it it, it kind of wears on your mind staring at the exact same thing. And just so happened, the reason why I hunted that same stand is because the wind was right. The scenario was right to stay there. You don't always do that. But for me, over a multitude of days everything kind of laid out that we're going to maintain hunting here um yeah so anyways decoy so he gives me his freaking whitetail decoys big you know this buck decoy i don't know what it was big ass plastic full-size goddamn 200 you know mimicking a 200 pound deer you know and i'm like i am not carrying this fucking oops sorry this freaking thing (laughs) from my from my (laughs) truck the whole yeah, that was the first. Yeah, that was the first F. Um, I'm not carrying this goddamn thing. This giant. I got a bow. I got a pack. I got all this shit, and it's cold. So I got you know. I'm packing in sicky gear layers. I've got a fanatic jacket. I've got you know different base layers. I got on my pack. I got a lot of stuff I'm bringing in for these all day sits, food, and the whole nine yards. Now I'm gonna carry a giant plastic, loud, hollow plastic freaking deer decoy. I'm like, this is insane. Well send it because it's my last day so we're gonna go for it and uh so yeah i hauled that thing down there i'm in the dark got my headlamp on a red light 
I'm trying to put this goddamn thing together, which I learned the night before in a parking lot how to how to put this decoy together, which isn't a big deal if you're doing it and it's daylight, but in, at night, never doing it before. It was kind of challenging. So got it up, got it situated where I thought maybe because it was a good spot, never, I don't know the tactics with using them, you know, very inexperienced, and uh, climbed to my stand. And throughout the day had, you know, some smaller bucks come in, actually had a deer come in like snort wheeze at like 20 yards, which is really cool. Um, you don't get to experience a lot of that around here. Deer, I don't know, they don't tend to like interact the same way in suburban hunting, snort wheezing and calling and stuff. They don't, you don't hear that a lot, but um, yeah, it was just, it was cool. Deer, you know, bucks grunting, chasing does when it was on and uh, had, like I said, had that, had a couple encounters with him earlier in the week and so as the sun went down i'm like oh well i guess that's it you know i'm watching the sunset it's like picture perfect man illinois midwest it's 30 some degrees high 30s you know something like that i can't remember exactly but it was cold and uh sun setting over the freaking cornfields it's just absolutely beautiful and i'm hunting in the bottom a creek hunting the creek bottom just like uh, you know, where Chaco was killed Creek bottom and it was a grassy kind of like overgrown pasture sort of, um, with some corn and beans kind of surrounding me. And, uh, yeah, I just, I literally t was watching the sunset going, well, I got a long drive tomorrow. I'll pack tonight, you know, I'll pack tonight. So I'll have to pack in the morning. I'll get on the road early, you know, try to get home in a reasonable hour. I turned around to grab my bow and put my quiver on my bow to start getting ready to get packed up literally 20 minutes of light left and there he is 40 yards standing behind me he's in a cedar thicket and on the edge of that thicket's a barbed wire fence and he's just standing there staring into the pasture and uh i'll never forget that i could i could draw it you know it was like just don't draw it. we saw your drawing skills i'm pretty good at drawing give me a crayon i'll draw it on the fucking wall right now I'll draw it right here on the freaking draw it on the wall. It ain't my wall. <laughs> Tony's like, yeah, don't do not draw on my wall with crayon. Um, but yeah, I saw him and he, he, so he jumps into the field and there's that scrape there that I have been putting pre-orbital on. And he comes in, dude, he locks onto that decoy and it was just classic puff sop, you know, his hair standing up on his back, you know, kind of walking all sideways and shit, you know, freaking eyes crossed, ears pinned back, licking his lips. Like he was pissed. And, uh, came into that scrape was 18 yards and i don't remember drawing my bow back or anything like that but uh i guess managed to put a good shot on him and he didn't go very far but yeah last minute last day crazy yeah i remember you giving me the call on that as yeah. well weeks weeks after like what two two and a half three weeks after killing my biggest buck ever in in pennsylvania it was like november 3rd i think i killed him or the second mm. So, you know, two weeks after killing the biggest deer of my life in PA, I got to Illinois and killed the biggest deer of my life on top of him, you know, in my first out-of-state, oh, no, not my first out-of-state whitetail, killed Ohio, but, you know, first Illinois whitetail. Um, yeah, dude, just a banner year. Freaking absolutely banner year. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, you, and then come home and you, you took off with it and did some crazy shit here and then ran over to Ohio. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, you uh, you came back and you're talking to me on the phone, and I was having some good days. I mean, any day in the stands is a good day, but like like as you said, they get long. Mm -hmm. um, whitetail hunting, as all bow hunting is, ups and downs constantly. And I was kind of in a down point. I'm not seeing any good deer, and I at this drinking point, a lot. Uh, yeah, drinking. You know, no, I'm just. <laughs> but I was like, 
you know, I was a weekend in my two week, you know, rutcation, I guess you can call it. And that's your next shirt, rut stash, rutcation. Rutcation. We can do that. Dude. Like a Winnebago instead of a stash with a truck tent on it and or yeah freaking truck tent with a james brood on top rutcation <sighs> don't get me started on another business idea i don't Decent. need that right now i don't need any more money in inventory. you could probably <laughs> make more money on that i don't know man hunter's hammock would be a, i mean i still think we I, can't we can't release that yet yeah you i'm know. sorry sorry well, let's get back so so rutcation you're, so rutcation, you're, you're in a downer I'm in a downer, you know, I'm not seeing what I'm hoping to and we're, let's fast forward. I'm not going to get into all the details and the stories of it. And actually the, the article on, on Chaco and as well as the one I'm about to talk about was in Peterson's bow hunting that you, you can pick up and the, so anyways, I'm hunting in this stand, the Kirk bottom stand, once again, hunting over a beaver pond, completely different location, different County. What's the Still, difference between a Crick bottom and a Creek bottom? Creek bottoms aren't real. They don't exist. Yeah, creek bottom aren't real. They're crick. Right. It's it's a crick. You know, a crick runs through it. A creek is like, it's like a bigger crick. A creek's what your floor makes when you're walking on it. Yeah, it creaks. Your bed creaks. Well, if you're Don Don... You hunt crick bottoms. You hunt crick bottoms. <laughs> the back, back. Sorry, we keep this. Is this the is Pittsburgh where we get accent? Up. Yeah, this is where this is where the last podcast went downhill. Um, Stay but, with us, folks. All right, we're we're we're, up, we're back on topic. I'm in a crick bottom. I got a beaver pond. My thermals, you know, the whole bit. Anyways, uh, I I had a trail camera set up on the crick crossing, and I was like. At noon, I'm going to get down all day sits like you were having. I've been sitting. This is the eighth day straight of all day sits. And I was like, I'm going to get down and check that camera. I need to move. I can't. Live it I, I got in my stand. and Live it on beef jerky and M&Ms. Yeah, and trail mix and, and everything else. But my I forgot my seat pad. So my Fanatic bibs had frozen to my metal seat at one point during the hunt. And I was kind of stuck there. So whole bunch of different things i'm just pissed off and you know going through the whole bit i go through a grunting bleat sequence so i bleat when i was grunting that's dang it bo out of all the animal noises you know how to make and if you've ever shot with bo in our 3d range he can mimic every animal all 30 targets mainly their mating noises but <laughs> you should be able to make mating noises for whitetails. Yeah, and, and you're right. Let me hear a good bleat. Meh, meh. There you go. Meh. All right, we'll so start there. And then, bah, 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 the grunt's coming in, right? So that's that's a little bit better. I can picture um, this. Yeah, you can picture. Yeah, if you ever shot with me in 3D or you plan on it, if you're trying to take your shots very seriously, you're going to hate me. And the reason why I won the Horse's Ass Award for the 3D shoot. But again, not trying to go into that right now. So you grunt, you grunt, meh, you bleat, bleh, 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 and mimic chasing. Forward. Right, and next thing you know, I'm I'm like, all right, I'm getting down. It's noon. Get ready to grab my bow, similar to you had, and I hear something, and I look to my right, and there's like a like a hemlock row right along the, the creek bottom. I see hoofs underneath it, and all of a sudden I see a pine tree just going back and forth, being thrashed. I'm like, no shit. Uh, here here comes a buck, and 
I, I grabbed my bow, get ready. It was as perfect as you get. I didn't even make another noise at that point. Saw his, you know, antlers going up and down the tree. I'm like, that's a shooter. He starts walking out. I had an area pre-ranged and everything where the difference from the, like, the switchblade grass to where the beach started, it was 37 yards, somewhere around there. You were he, hunting at a beach? Yeah, on a beach. Somewhere on a beach. You know what I mean? Yeah, all right. So he he comes out and he walks right down that line. I'm like, I know that yardage. So at the time he came out from the, the hemlocks, I'm at full draw already, hits that mark. I'm shooting that spot hog fast at his sight, double pin. And my top pin's 25, second pin's 38. Where he came out was around 36, so kind of split the difference. Settled it right in on his guts and... Right in on... Oh. And I, he was quartered away pretty hard, so that's our... That, you know, kind of comes into play, but I aimed for that opposite shoulder and blacked out and released the arrow. No, I mean, kind of, but pretty much, but no, I I felt controlled with it and released the arrow, went through him, heard him crash through all the beach brush and and then heard one final crash. And I knew that was it. And I didn't have cell service or anything. I couldn't text anybody, but it was awesome. I knew he was down, got down trailed i waited i always wait a half hour at least even if i hear him crash just to get down and started blood trailing him and ended up finding the deer the the biggest body deer i'd ever killed in pennsylvania you had a 40 yard drag just like me yeah um yeah pretty close about a mile and a half hundred yards right yeah it was about a mile and a half drag and and uh and i knew i could go back to the truck and call somebody to help and I, i i don't know i just wanted to complete the whole experience did it by myself wanted to do it so drug the that deer out of there the hellacious drag that it was i i was planning on actually packing him out i had game bags in my my kafaru with me and everything else to pack them out and decided that i had to show everybody this freaking body on it because it was that big so i drug the deer out he didn't have any hair left on his hide i don't know how you did that me neither it's dumb don't recommend it if you can get help get help and yeah just completely was broke down at that point my shoulders will need replaced at 40 and my back and everything else but yeah that's something i'm not familiar with dragging deer out a mile and a half yeah so got him out got him in the truck got back to camp uh celebrated with the family had some lattes, as you can see, I'm a, a fan of. And uh, and uh, the next morning, skinned them all out, got the meat out, everything, got that hung, and decided my dad was out in Ohio already. I'm like, this I'm, is where you went a little crazy. Decided, oh, I said, I'm going to drive to Ohio and, and hunt for the last three days of my vacation, I think it was, something Your like that. Your rutcation? My rutcation. And you might as well left. send it at that point. Oh, that's a beautiful sound. It is. So, uh, left in the in the middle of the, I left in the middle of the night. By the time I got everything cut up and everything, got things squared away, and had a six hour drive to Ohio. Drove through the night, made it halfway to where my house was at that point. Slept for a couple hours, got back in the truck, drove the rest of the way, got there right as it was getting daylight unpacked everything packed him with a climber to an area that 
and where, where I hunt in Ohio is, is mountainous country too, just a little bit different. A lot of oaks, uh, you know, steep ridges, ravines, everything. Meth labs. Meth lab. There is, yeah, hundred percent. If you've, if you've never been to Southern Ohio, I'm pretty sure they give West Virginia a good name, but, uh, <laughs> uh, so packed in there and climbed this tree that I'd found on this. It was kind of a saddle um, on a ridge. And on one side, there was like a steep kind of cliff coming off. On the other side was a coal mine. And Did you know this was there or was this something you just pulled out of your ass? No, I had scouted it in the spring. And so you knew, that, you knew that tree was there. That was a tree you had. Not the exact tree, but I hadn't. I hadn't picked that that saddle because right over the edge was a buck bed that i'd found but the wind wasn't right to hunt real close to it and went in there climbed up in the tree and it was just prepared for an old i sit the whole time i'm up there in the tree thinking why did i do this and not just enjoy vacation like everybody else in america does and just you know yeah. goes to a beach or you know sits around you said you were at a beach yeah beach beach brush beach brush yeah very little different than like i mean very similar but actually not at all you know just not not as comforting and warm and everything else so if you're ever in a tree stand and you just like in the in the mood for like a pina colada or something you could you could call one of us it's like sitting on a beach yeah basically somebody delivers you a drink you're kicked back you're relaxed it's whitetail hunting that's all it is that's what we should do we got to figure out how to do that Get pina coladas in a tree? Well, just come up with like a delivery service for hunters. They have to be sent free and come in with the right wind direction. Take a quiet cat in. Ooh. Deliver anything. Pizza. Don't give our business ideas away on the podcast. People are going to listen to this. Next thing you know, it's going to be on TV. Mail order alcohol to the tree (laughs) stand. But uh, so I'm sitting there all day and I was literally... I, I had a call from work come in and and just a bunch of things. And I'm like, this, I'm just, I need to f- just relax and focus. And I just kind of sat there and said, you know, like reflecting on the season, you know, everything that happened with you and, and all the other things that happened. And there was a bunch of other deer in my family that had been killed. And, and, and again, it's not all about the kill, but the, the whole experience of the season had been better than anything I'd ever imagined. I'm sitting there. And about quarter to five, I hear, I'm like, geez, here comes another, you know, freaking squirrel coming up. I look over my right and here comes this buck. And I'm like, oh man, that looks like a good deer. Pull up my binos and I see a split G2 and split three. I'm like, holy shit this is going to happen. Like he's coming right up that ridge. And the one thing I, in hill country, when I'm in Southern Ohio is a little different than where I'm at in Pennsylvania. It's super steep, but not as tall mountains. But in that case, I like to be up towards the top a little more than, than in the creek bottoms. And they like to run right over the ridge. So like 40 yards over, they're not skylining themselves on the top of the ridge. I had some does and a spike come right across the ridge in front yeah, of they me. They can scent check bedding areas and do what they need. Yeah, it's a nice yep. travel corridor. So they came like right off that side path. As, as picture perfect as you want. Grabbed my bow. It happened so fast. Drew back, stopped them. I think it was 27 yards. Released the arrow, watched that nocturnal drive through him. He went right up to the top of the hill as the sun was setting. 
I could just see his silhouette and he piles up, goes down, and I just lost it. My knees buckled. I just sat back down on my climber and was like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way this happened. Back to back. Back to back. You know, two bucks in three days. I climbed down, go up to it. I called my dad who was hunting in the air. I hadn't even made it to camp yet to visit those guys and and had this buck down. I, I waited for my dad to come up. It wasn't a tough drag. It was on the very top of the mountain. So basically, I just could let the deer go and he'd roll all the way down if I wanted him to. And uh, my dad comes up. I had him gutted out by that point and drug him down, threw him in the back of the truck, went back to camp and just completely you know captivated the the best whitetail season that myself and then more importantly all my friends and family had ever had and that's why i love whitetail yeah it was a banner year and so your tactics to kind of go back to like tactics you know hunting you know so we went over hunting suburban a little bit of mountain you know and out west you know hunting out there is I guess we wouldn't talk too much on that, but tactics are a little different applying, you know, decoys and things like that. You can do, you know, in certain areas and maybe they're not effective in other areas. Yeah. For you in, in Southern Ohio, you know, a lot of scouting, mm -hmm. you know, an area you're not close to an area you can't just go to after work and scout or whatever, you know, in the spring or, you know, before the season, but an area that when you did get the scout it, you use tools like Onyx to, mark those areas so you could refer to them later and you applied a little different tactic by hunting you know these ridges where the deer are traveling versus in a similar area like up north you're hunting bottoms to find these big deer where they're staying super secluded and bedding right so you're yeah. hunting a bedding area for the deer you know for deers that you killed up north um hunting creek bottoms and things like that where they're kind of hanging versus get down into Ohio, little different time of year too, a couple of days later, you know, deer maybe a little more on their feet, starting to travel more as, as that rut's really kicking. You're going to get into a travel area where you know these deer are going to be moving in those during those times to scent check those bottoms or to, you know, scent check the tops of the ridges where the does are bedding and things like yeah, that. Yeah, no, that's a good point because th at that time of day, the thermals are coming up the hill so they're going to run closer to the top to be able to scent check anything bedding down below on the steep ridges. And in, and again, it was the rut. So in the early season, the bottoms are mostly crop fields in this part of Ohio and it's private land where they're going down, you know, to feed in and everything where during the rut, they have more on their mind than food. It obviously is still important, but there's acorns up there. So they still have food and they're looking for does. Yeah, and, and so they're looking to mate. Even out, you know, in the Midwest, we there's a lot of field hunting, and everybody kind of you, know, you see on TV hunting these big corn fields, bean fields, all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, it's it, don't be afraid to get into the timber when the rut's on. Yeah, the access may be a little more difficult. Yeah, you may make more noise getting up in there, and you may bump some deer and things like that. But when you get into the timber, you know, and five o'clock isn't necessarily, you know, last light, right? I mean, you're not, you're, you're starting to get close there, but midday and, and mid afternoon into the evening, timber spots can be really good. Those, yeah. those bucks are going to stay in the timber where 
they feel a little safer and they're going to travel. They're going to cut and they're going to, they're going to use thermals. They're going to use wind direction to check those bedding areas. If you're, if you're a big buck and you want to check, let's say five bedding areas, if you have to walk to each bedding area to check it, it's going to take you a lot longer. You're going to use a lot more energy. You know, it's going to be a lot more difficult to do that. You got to cover more ground versus getting downwind of those bedding areas. He, a big deer can cover less ground. He's still checking because he's gonna, he's using his nose, so he's still checking all those bedding areas. He he can che- he can check the tops, he can check the bottoms, just with his nose, and he can cover less ground and use less energy. Yep. And when you start pushing, you know, especially into November, a lot of those bigger deer they've already bred, they've already locked down does, they've done that. They're still chasing, they're still looking for does, but they start transitioning into saving energy when they get closer to later in the season. I mean, these deer know what's coming. They know winter's coming. They're already run down. They've already been chasing for, you know, a month or, you know, weeks upon weeks. They're they're going to use their tactics wisely by expending less energy, using their nose more, and traveling a different type of corridor. They're, they're, they're totally changing what they're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that, keep that in mind, Again, we're not professional hunters. I don't know everything, but just over our experiences um, and hunting in these different places, you know, some of the things you can kind of pick up. And a lot of these things are things I pick up from guys that have been doing this a lot longer, you know, guys oh, that yeah. they know what's going on. And if you're going to go to places, you're going to travel, one of the best things to do is reach out to people and utilize resources from that area, you know. Yeah. When I go to the Midwest, I'm listening to to my guys that are out there telling me what's going on. If I go to the mountains and hunt, I'm going to talk to people that, that hunt there and know what's going on. You know what I mean? That's the nice thing about the shop is you get a variety of people yeah, that hunt all people. those places. Yep. yep. That's the nice thing about a podcast like this. Just listen to some of the people you've had on talking about elk hunting and, and deer hunting and things like that. Kind of just listening to what guys, tactics they're applying and how they're hunting in the different areas and also in the different times of the year too. Yeah. Everything changes and it's all relevant to that. And then mostly what we'd focused on was a lot of rut type hunting, which actually your first kill wasn't the rut at all, No, but you know, it, yeah, it's more of a food, food source, early season traveling, um, just kind of starting to hit scrapes. And, and a lot of that was a lot of that hunt was, you know, working on scrapes, um, you know, and, and, and patterning him based upon that. And then as we move forward, I went from early season tactics, killing a deer like that based upon, you know, just trail camera movement when they're more patternable early in the season. Um, coming in the apple orchards and things like that to, to you getting into deep woods, big woods, bedding area type hunting and, Crick bottom hunting and things like that when they're when they're really starting to you know move and respond to calls and stuff like that i wasn't calling you know that earlier in the season then going out west where i'm using a ton of calling decoys hunting fields hunting you know a whole different kind of landscape and, and a different animal to put it on and even all, all day sits i mean yeah you're, you're changing your movement and your yep. tactics and yeah, early the way you're looking at it you're not you'd be wasting your time honestly yeah when day. i hunted that deer in pa i knew i shouldn't hunt all day sick because the wind was going to get yeah. weird you know it was going to get hot things were changing i knew it wasn't worth for me to stay there and have my scent in that area for those four hours midday it's best for me to get out of there 
regroup and come back in. Whereas in November, late October, it's definitely best to, if you can, sit your ass in a stand based upon wind direction, based upon travel and things that you know, and hunt those deer. Because a lot of times, a lot of those encounters that I had, you know, were, were midday deer. You know, Chaco died you know, later in the morning when most guys would be getting out of their stand, you know, a lot of the, yeah. a lot of the encounters I had with mature deer out in Illinois were in the middle of the day. Yeah. My PA buck was, it was 1205 is when yeah. I shot him. Yeah. Like. You killed midday. So midday hunting is a great thing if it applies. Yeah. And, and if it applies not only to the time of year, but to also where you're hunting, the terrain you're hunting, and if that's the corridor, that's the place they're going to be at that time. You yeah. Know? A big deer, not to say he's never going to do it, but, you know, they're they're not going to, you know, middle of the day, they're not just going to walk out in a cornfield and eat corn. Yeah, that's, you know, especially that time. Yeah, yeah so that's sitting over, a, you know, the edge of a cornfield, a cut cornfield, you know, middle of the day may not be the best for maybe being in the timber you know, right. might be at that time of year. And, and it's a lot, all a lot relevant. Of, a lot of guys stay mobile too. I mean, I know a lot of guys, especially out in the Midwest that are, that are moving stands to, mm-hmm. depending on the time of day. You know what I mean? They're going to yeah. hunt. Maybe they're going to get into the timber in the morning for those deer coming off those fields. They're going to come back to bed. They're going to get in the timber. They don't have an opportunity that morning or whatever. They're not going to kill midday. They may get down if they know they're not in a spot for midday traveling where a deer, where there's a potential for them to cut a deer looking for does that maybe they're not in that corridor. They know I had to get down. I'm going to go to that field edge because tonight when the deer come out, the does are going to go to food. These bucks are going to be looking for these hot does are going to start chasing. And then, you know, in the, at night, that's where they're going to be. Yeah. And deers, you know, I mean, you're going to chase a doe through thick timber in the middle of the night, or are you going to chase a doe through an open field in the middle of the night? You know, I'm not saying they wouldn't do it in the timber, but I'm more apt to be chasing a doe around, you know, in a big field. Yeah. You know? I mean, me personally, I'd chase does around anywhere, anytime, any time of year. That's your but style. That's, 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 what, that's where the rut stash comes into play. Yeah. Again, 365, 24-7, you're in the rut, and... Again, that doesn't July. apply to deer hunting, but July rut stash, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I've been rocking it here for a while, but last year was fun though, man. It was a, it was, it was cool to see the different techniques and tactics that everybody applied. Um, it was cool to see, you know, a lot of the character that was put on the ground with some good deer through the store. Um, everybody put their time in, put a lot of, I know that's so freaking cliche, put your time in, you know, work hard, blah, blah. And you can do that all season and still not kill a deer, but that doesn't mean next season, you know, Oh, I put all my time in last year. It didn't, didn't happen. You, you got to maintain that. You got to stay driven every year to, to, to continue to just keep digging, learn from your mistakes. Like you you put years of, knowledge into killing these deer this wasn't something you just pulled out of your ass and said oh i'm gonna go hunt down here this year i think i got it i saw an old rob i'm gonna go do that no this was years of knowledge years of techniques put in yeah and for me it was years of knowledge and techniques knowing that man it seems like you know i have this deer on camera and then we hunt early season you know i'm hunting every day or every other day or whatever when i'm not at work I'm putting my time in, man, but all of a sudden these deer disappear. They go nocturnal or I don't see them anymore. So change those tactics up. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from what you're doing. I'm not going to say it's going to work every time, but if the stars align, you know, you're going to get lucky. And I think think my biggest takeaway, especially from last season and, and going forward, is 
you know, bow hunting again, I said it earlier, is ups and downs constantly. You're always going through it. It's just to keep one second can change your whole season. Yeah, just and ride, ride as that As much wave. time as you can, and I know everyone's got to work and you got everything going on, but as much time as you can stand, put in the stand, the better chances you have, man. And, ride and, the and, ups and, and, ride and again, it depends on the time of year. Earlier on, you might you'd be more strategic and and everything else and plan that but fit you know figure that out put your time and don't dis- get discouraged and that's kind of my big takeaways with it so yeah for sure yeah and everyone's got their own properties and everyone's got their own thing going on but analyze what you're doing use the equipment that that's out there for you whether it's certain trail cam systems or whatever it is or you know that's a god man the hair on the back of my neck just stood up good sign but yeah get out there hunt have fun you know get your equipment straight pay attention ride the ups and downs you know and this year hey we may go out there and not kill a damn thing that is what it is probably not my luck this year so far is missing a turkey and and spending 14 days in the mountains of colorado which i'm not complaining about but did not you know kill but hey i've got a positive attitude white bill season will turn around for you yeah so one last question for you rick and uh hopefully this isn't throwing you for a ringer as much we'll see if you actually listen to any of my podcasts but uh how would you define adventure for yourself yeah man i mean that's i don't know that's a good question and 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 that doesn't need to be even hunting specific like just in every aspect of your life well i think i think adventure is anything for me that's new right like or different for what you're doing so you know for example last yeah last year killing that deer it was adventurous to change tactics to not hunt as much it was adventurous to stay out of the woods and utilize trail cameras and things and not be putting my time in the stand to kill a big deer it was different i just did i wasn't familiar with that it's outside your comfort right zone. exactly so i think anything if you could push your if you could push your comfort zone for me driving out to illinois by myself i'm not used to doing that i'm not used to hunting alone all week i'm not used to hunting out there you know I yeah mean, yeah i hunt there one week a year but i'm not used to that you know you only get a week a year that's not a whole lot so i think for me that that's adventure because it pushes what you're comfortable doing and i think the more uncomfortable not the more uncomfortable you get the better you'll the better success you'll have but at least the more you'll take out of it yeah. right so if you stay i think for, i think if you just stick to the norm and just kind of like oh well, i'm used to doing this this is my thing and yeah sometimes i have luck and sometimes i don't you know that's cool but that can get boring and get out there try try new things try new tactics you know try something different figure it out grab a decoy you know and go out there and throw it up i think that's to me maybe what defines a little bit of adventure is just kind of um you know trying new things and and getting out of your comfort zone man i think i think and and to be honest with you whether a successful hunt or not if you if you push that limit you come out of that gun well i didn't have any success but I learned a lot, but that was a lot of fun, but I did something that I wasn't used to doing. If you do have success, then obviously the lattes flow. Heck yeah. And, and the, the great thing and, and my whole purpose for this podcast, man, I know I've talked a lot to this point about Western hunting and elk hunting and everything else, but that was all because of, you know, 
the relevance to time, but adventure is truly how you define it. And that can be suburban whitetail hunting. That can be farm country, whitetail hunting, mountain buck hunting, elk hunting, whatever it is. Out of state in the state you lived in, in the neighborhood you grew up in. It yeah, it's, it's, yep. it's, it's all relevant to your situation and what you have available. Make the best of it and kind of go from there. So I think this was a great way to kick off the 2018 whitetail season. And hopefully here in the coming weeks, we're going to have more stories to share and more lattes. experiences, which I, I don't doubt that at all. We'll have more lattes, whether it's successful or not. So Yeah. Man, people are going to think we're, you know, alcoholics or something. Well, it is Tuesday night. Friday. It is Friday night. (laughs) (laughs) Five o'clock somewhere. Yeah. Anyways, Rick, any uh, any last thoughts? No, man. I I appreciate you having me on for part one and two. Um, If anybody has uh, questions on products or things like that, feel free to hit us up at the store. And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed listening to us bullshit. Yeah, and if you uh, if you fail whitetail hunting because of any of our tactics or anything, we are not liable for that. Correct. We, you know, we, we're amateurs, and I, w- I honestly wouldn't listen to any of it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, no, honestly, uh, again, Rick, thank you for coming on here. Yeah. Uh, we, we still have a few beers to drink and enjoy the night. Try to make sure Tony's not falling asleep over there on the recliner. He's good to go. He's good. All right. He's, he's and and actually he's a big decent. shout out to Tony for for bringing us beer during the, yes. the podcast. Here, Nobody so. knew that was happening, but the entire time we were doing like the the sign language, like, uh, "Hey, do you need one? Yeah, give me one." Yeah, and I he's mean, running like, back and forth. You know, the for fridge. the two we've had. Yeah, just two. First and last. Yeah, just two. <laughs> two of the last five minutes all right rick we're signing off brother Thank all right you. buddy thanks so much for listening to this episode of east meets west hunt with your host bomar tonic for more great content and to stay up to date visit eastmeetswesthunt.com facebook at east meets west outdoors and instagram at east meets west hunt if you enjoyed today's episode please review and subscribe and we'll catch you next time